Paula Fredrickson, Boston University. I know in their own terms what they saw was the raised Jesus. That's what they say, and then all the historical evidence we have afterwards attests to their conviction that that's what they saw. I'm not saying that they really did see the raised Jesus. I don't know what they saw. But I know that as a historian, they must have seen something. Is there any reason to believe that an extraordinary event like the resurrection actually happened? We might be encouraged to know that since the first Christians made the claim that the resurrection was Jesus' physical body coming to life and leaving an actual, literal tomb, as opposed to simply a spiritual belief that Jesus had come back again as a ghost or was alive in their hearts as a memory, it can be studied in the same way other historical events can be. Like Hannibal's invasion, complete with the elephants, Napoleon's defeat at Waterloo, or the Broncos being crushed by the Seahawks in Super Bowl 48. Historical research is well respected, even though, unlike scientific research, you cannot place historical events under a microscope or contain them to a lab. Historians put reports together from written sources and eyewitnesses or anything else that was known from the time and place of the events to reach reasonable conclusions about what may have actually happened. While many pieces of evidence can be used to point to the reality of Jesus' resurrection, we will focus on three. Number one, the early church exploded on the scene of the ancient world with the claim that Jesus had risen from the dead as their central proclamation. Many movements are gradual in building momentum, and when it comes to larger-than-life, legendary or miraculous characteristics claimed by these movements about their leaders, those ideas usually take decades and sometimes even centuries to develop. From what we know about Christianity, the claim that Jesus rose again from the dead was made from the very start, serving as this new religion's central idea. A passage that is thought to reflect the very earliest Christian belief, a founding Christian leader writes, I want to remind you of the good news I proclaimed to you. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and on the third day rose again from the dead. Within a very short time, this movement had taken the ancient world by storm, built on the testimony of those who claimed they had seen Jesus alive after death. There is every indication that they must have seen something. Number two, the earliest followers of Jesus claimed to be eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection and went to their deaths proclaiming it. Now, we all know people die for their beliefs. That does not make their beliefs true. But one thing it does for all of them, it is a very strong indicator that they believed what they were saying. It's been said, liars make lousy martyrs. The early followers of Jesus claimed first to have seen Jesus die and raise again from the dead. Their deaths are an indication that they certainly believed they had. They must have seen something. Number three, Jesus' resurrection was seen by his earliest followers and friends. But, in addition, a very unusual thing happened around the same time. Two men, who were self-described skeptics, even enemies of the idea of Jesus' divinity, turned from their skepticism to claim that they had seen the resurrected Jesus. The first was Jesus' own brother James. Historians are confident that we have good information regarding James, and we know he began as a skeptic over Jesus' claims to divinity. From what we know, he appears to have thought Jesus was decidedly not the Son of God, but also that his brother was a little on the kooky side, which, if you have a brother, you may be able to relate to. But somehow, James makes a complete turnaround in his view of Jesus. 
And the explanation he gives is the resurrected Jesus appeared to him. He must have seen something. Then there was a man named Saul of Tarsus. He not only did not believe in Jesus, but when the news about him began to travel, he believed this new movement was a dangerous and destructive idea. He took it upon himself to oppose believers, even violently. He had people killed and put in prison just for believing in the resurrection. Then suddenly, Saul does one of the most amazing 180s in the history of 180s. He goes from sworn enemy of the new faith to one of its most passionate and vocal promoters. What happened? According to him, the resurrected Jesus appeared to him. He went to his death never backing off that claim. He must have seen something. Atheist New Testament scholar Jed Ludman. It must be taken as historically certain that Peter and the disciples had experiences after Jesus' death in which Jesus appeared to them as the risen Christ. They must have seen something. Welcome to Generations Church. We believe they saw something, and we believe we are experiencing something as a result of the resurrection of Jesus. And we also believe you're not here by accident, that you're here to hear the good news, maybe for the first time, or maybe for the first time for it to click in your heart, and our desire is for you to become a believer today. So I'm just letting you know up front my purpose. Our text today, we're going to look at Acts 26 right quick. In our journey through the book of Acts each Sunday, the fifth book of the New Testament is a story of the spreading of the story of Jesus after the resurrection. Churches are being planted throughout the Roman Empire, and one of Jesus' biggest enemies, Saul, has been converted and become Paul. We saw in the video referring to that. And we have seen him approaching his arrest. He's about to be arrested and imprisoned and sent to Rome. And on his journey to Rome, he gets to witness or preach to a couple Roman leaders, officials. And he's telling them his testimony and how God has helped him to do what he's done in planting churches. Verse 22 of Acts 26, he says, Therefore, Having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both to small and great, preaching to everyone, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come. Now keep in mind, he did not yet have the New Testament. It was being written. He's preaching Jesus and the resurrection from the Old Testament, the writings of Moses and the Old Testament prophets. And here's what he would preach, verse 23 that the Christ or the Messiah would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. And that's what we're here today, proclaiming light. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. That's a normal response to that statement, but because of today's date, I want to change it up a bit. Christ is risen. No fooling, he's risen. April Fool's Day is a day when people play pranks on one another, and boy, did Jesus play a prank on death, didn't he? The grave could not hold him. Some believe that April Fool's Day began with the changing from the Julian calendar 
to the Gregorian calendar and people that did not acknowledge that New Year's was on January 1st were considered fools for not going along with this shift and they were called April fools because the traditional time of New Year was beginning of spring. It actually makes sense, right? But no, the leaders of the world at that time changed it to the Gregorian calendar. January 1st was New Year's, but April 1st, those who celebrated New Year's around that time were April fools. I'm not going to debate it. It is interesting, though. Christ is risen. No fooling. He's risen. I found a t-shirt saying the same. He is risen. No fooling. Why we believe in the resurrection? We believe in the resurrection of Jesus because of his enemies. What a strange reason to believe. Well, because he had enemies, it prevented a hoax from being pulled off. If this was some cult being started, and Jesus is some false prophet going to do a hoax on the world, his enemies made sure that that didn't happen. They prevented a false resurrection. They prevented the theft of the body. They recruited the Romans to set up guards 24-7 at the tomb. Let's make it 24-3. A stone was rolled at the entrance of that tomb with a Roman seal on it, making it a crime even to move the stone an inch because you would break the seal. And so the guards were paid off to say, well, we fell asleep, which would have been death penalty for people in their uh, field of work, a career, but they were not prosecuted, nor were they executed. So his enemies ensured that the crime scene, the scene of the crime, was not tampered with, was not contaminated. It was a pure scene. Just put yellow tape around the tomb. No one crossed it until the tomb was empty. We believe in the resurrection because he did die. He was put to death by execution at the hand of professional executioners. The Romans were really good at this, and history records there was a man that lived named Jesus who was executed by Romans. We believe in the resurrection because of the empty tomb that had no other explanation other than he rose from the dead. And then there were those appearances made by eyewitnesses who saw him. one point he appeared to 500 people, and at another point he appeared numerous times over the course of 40 days, proving himself to be alive. Another reason we believe in the resurrection is his family got on board. They were skeptical. Imagine having a brother for 30 years, a son for 30 years, that suddenly shifted gears, beginning to proclaim his lordship. Would you go along with that? Boy, what are you talking about? I knew you when you was in diapers. You ever go to a family reunion and you don't get much respect there? They still see you as the kid that messed his pants at the kindergarten graduation. If that was you, be healed. But our families view us from the eyes of the past, and so it takes the grace of God, really, to generate respect within a family for its own family members. Jesus said, a prophet's honored everywhere except at home. But after the resurrection, they got on board. They respected him. And as Brother James wrote part of the New Testament and was a spokesman for the church in Jerusalem and even died a torturous death, he was thrown off the temple. Remember, Jesus was tempted to jump off the temple to demonstrate his power. James was thrown off of it, and his broken body laying there on the ground at the foot of the the height of the temple, the pinnacle of the temple, he's confessing faith in his resurrected brother, I believe, as they stone him. 
to death. And of course, his empowered followers now become leaders as a result of the resurrection. They were disoriented. They were disillusioned. Their Savior, the Lord, the Messiah, they thought he was going to come and drive the Romans out of power, now is dead. They go into hiding. One of them even denies that he knows him. But after the resurrection, empowered by the Spirit of God, they became bold witnesses. And all of them that but one died as a martyr, and none of them recanted their faith in his resurrection. The one that did not die as a martyr, died a natural death, also experienced torture. He too, under being put in boiling oil, did not recant his faith in the Savior. There's plenty of people who die believing lies, but who dies believing a lie that they know is a lie? No one. It's natural for us to want to live. Something, as the video said, happened. Can we say something happened? We believe because of expansive evangelism. The church grew from Jerusalem throughout Israel and into the Roman Empire, and during the first century even made it to the west coast of India. Thomas, who's called the doubter, carried the gospel the furthest of any of the 11, the 12. He planted several churches there that are still there. They need revival in those churches, but they're still there. What a lasting witness to the resurrection of Jesus. And of course, it's continuing to spread in our day. We're here in this room because of the spreading of the story of the resurrection and the transformation that takes place in lives for those who believe it. We believe in the resurrection because of the enraging of the Romans. How could they be distracted by this strange story in Palestine about this guy who rose from the dead and proved himself alive for 40 days and then went back to heaven? Why would they get upset about this? Because they were getting converts who were refusing to acknowledge the emperor as God who were refusing to give business to idol makers, who were refusing to submit to unjust authority that would dictate how one should believe. Christians in the early days, that first century, were called atheists because they didn't believe in the gods of the Romans. This is Nero's circus, a sketch of what it may have looked like. It's here where he was entertained. People in this thing with sports and chariot races. It's here that it's believed that Peter was crucified upside down. It's here where Christians were slaughtered. His people stood in the stands and witnessed such atrocities because of the enraging of the Romans. Here's another sketch of what it may have looked like. Quite a place. Now, this has often been confused with the Colosseum It's doubtful whether or not the Colosseum was a place where a lot of Christians were killed, but here's where a lot of things happened under Nero's reign. What is here to this day? Is it still there? No. What is at this specific point in geography? What is it? St. Peter's Square is here. Today, just a few hours ago in Italian time, the resurrection was proclaimed in the very place where Christians who believe in the resurrection were slaughtered, it is now proclaimed. Isn't that awesome? Which brings us to our next point. 
from the enraging of the Roman Empire came to the embracing of the Roman Empire, so much so that fake conversions began to take place because of the story of the resurrection. And Christianity became the official religion of the Romans. If you don't believe it, check out one of our largest denominations. They claim not to be a denomination, the Roman Catholic Church. Roots go all the way back to there. Constantine the emperor says he saw a sign of a cross and became a Christian. The engraving of world history. There's no denying that something happened. Can we say something happened? There's no denying that. And the engraving of our history books are related to this. B.C. and A.D. B.C. stands for before Christ, the years before Christ came. We go back in time from Christ backwards. 400 years of silence. No scriptures were written. The end of the Old Testament. 400 B.C. Moving forward, 300 B.C., 200 B.C., 100 B.C., 0 B.C., or around 3 B.C., they're not sure exactly the day Christ was born. And A.D. began. As Christianity took a hold of the Roman Empire, historians began to relate history to the life of Jesus. What does A.D. stand for? It's not after death, because then that would have Jesus dying in 33 B.C. It's Anno Domino. The word Anno is related to time. Annual means yearly. Anno is a time. And Domino. It's related to his lordship or to dominate. Anno domino. The dominating or the lording or the reigning of the time of the Lord's reign. The Lord's time of reigning began when he came to earth. And so today we are 2,018 years into the reign of Jesus. Whether you recognize it or not, it's there in history. Well, we've dealt with that in our history books. Yes, you have. Yes, we've dealt with it with BCE and CE. We're living in 2018 common era. And the BC business is now before common era. So you see, we've eradicated Christ from our textbooks. Really? Why is it 2018 CE? We all know the truth. Still A.D., deal with it. You talk about a permanent tattoo, there it is. Well, I got a permanent tattoo. No, you don't. No tattoo's permanent. When you die, that tattoo's going to turn to dust. And if you resurrect with the rest of us, you get a new body. Guess what? You don't put bumper stickers on a limousine, do you? All right, I'm not picking on anybody. The enduring results that continue cause us to believe in the resurrection. Faith in the resurrection changes lives. Lives are transformed. You're in a room with a lot of people in it that have experienced the change that takes place by believing in the resurrection. Not only has a change took place in my life, it's continuing to take place in my life because 
His resurrection propels me onward to start again when I fall, to get up again when I stumble, because my Lord is alive and His reign and His authority is continuing. So following Jesus is very much a reality today because of the resurrection. And we believe in the resurrection because the benefits it provides is extended to all. He died for the sins of the world. John the Baptist proclaimed it, an old covenant prophet, said he was the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. What a benefit for us all. Available to whoever will call upon his name and ask him, for saving, ask him for forgiveness, ask him to remove from your life, our life, anything that hinders our relationship with him. Who has benefits on your job? Maybe paid vacation. If you're an employer, put your hand down. <laughs> oh, you actually have benefits of being self-employed as well. You get deductions and stuff. Would it be wise to have benefits that are extended you from your employment, let's say a paid vacation, and you never take it. Is that wise? You have sick leave, and you're sick as a dog with the flu, making everybody sick, but by golly, you're not going to take it because you're tough. Is that wise when you got that benefit? In the middle of the Bible are two verses, right dead center in the middle, and they say, bless the Lord, O my soul, bless his holy name, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all. Somebody said all. All of his benefits. What are the benefits of the resurrection of Jesus? Our sins are all forgiven. He came and lived a perfect life, died a cruel death at the age of 33. A young, innocent man experienced something incredible. That was the ultimate sin the worst sin that has ever been committed. The Son of God was put to death. Now, you can slap me around, but slap my grandkids or one of my children around, we got another thing coming, right? When I was a teenager, I chipped a tooth. Chewing on the ice, yes, and I still do it. I haven't learned my lesson. It was not fun, but it happened. But that pain did not compare to the pain I felt in my heart the day my son was running up some aluminum bleachers, fell and chipped a tooth. I thought I was going to die. I felt so bad. That was the ultimate sin, the death of God's son. But God allowed it to happen. Knowing he would conquer death, And that son's death would be the ultimate remedy for all the sins of the world. You don't think the world has a sin problem. Turn on the news. Read your newspaper. Get a subscription to the Hood County News. It's front page stuff sometimes. Or turn to page three, and there it is. We have a sin problem. And because there's a sin problem, there's an unforgiveness problem. That's making us addicted to all sorts of stuff because we will not let go of the sins that were committed against us. Well, through Jesus and the ultimate sacrifice he paid, no one has the right to hold on to their sin. He paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. His blood washed white as snow. 
to give us a new beginning. He received upon himself. The Bible says he became sin and was punished for us, yet without sin, so that we might be made God's righteousness. Isn't that awesome? So we're not just forgiven for our wrongdoing, but he makes us right. Now, some of us, you can see that righteousness working out of their lives more than others, but hold on, he's not finished with us. It took him just a week to make the stars. He's still working on us, amen? All our sins are forgiven. Our fear of death is gone. There's no torment like the fear of death. Check out most phobias. Any phobia a person has, generally, if you chase it to its furthest conclusion, somebody's going to wind up dead, right? My grandmother and grandfather, my dad's parents, were spending the night with us in Bloomington, Illinois, actually outside of Bloomington. We lived out in the country, and it was wintertime. And you know what happens in the country in wintertime? Mice look for warm places to live. It's not Texas. It's up there in Illinois. Six months after I got out of high school, I moved to Texas. I got here as fast as I could. It's too cold up there. And we could hear them talking, and we could hear some scratching in the attic. And Grandma said, what's that, Thomas? He said, probably mice. They have mice in their attic. Mice could bite us. They might have rabies. We could all die. Jesus taking away the fear of death. Paul said it like this. To live is Christ, to die is gain. There's a distinct difference in the dying of a person who has assurance of eternal life than someone who doesn't. It's torment, the Bible says. Our lives have been reborn our spirits have been reborn. We've started again. And while we're not perfect, we're not what we were. And while we're not perfect, we're not what we're going to be. But the new birth has begun because of the resurrection. Our minds are being renewed. Our spirits have been reborn. Our minds are being renewed. That's our problem. Now we have newborn spirits, but we still think the way we used to think. We have, as Zig Ziglar said, stinking thinking. We need a checkup from the neck up. The way we think is the problem. The lies we believe, the things we hold on to in our minds. This is spiritual growth where we're, our minds are renewed according to the word of God through the power of the resurrection. One day, at our resurrection, our bodies are going to be replaced. Isn't that good news? Our spirits are reborn. Our minds are being renewed and our bodies are going to be replaced. How many is thankful for the limousine you got coming? This one, regretfully so, you may not always see it in Christians, but Jesus gave it to us. As a result of the resurrection, he appeared to a couple of his disciples and announced to them that which was included in the Gospels is announced to us. He breathed on them, said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whatever sins you forgive are forgiven. Whatever sins you retain are retained. The power to forgive has been put in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit because of the resurrection. The Hatfields and McCoys do not have to fight from now on. They have a power to forgive. It doesn't mean when someone has committed a crime, you don't call the police because they may commit it again against somebody else. 
If your neighbor burglarizes your home and you don't call the police, he may be burglarizing my home next week. So you've got to love your neighbors in this thing. But by all means, let it go. Little girls all over the nation, after, after Frozen came out, were singing it. Let it go, let it go. You've been given the power to let it go because of the resurrection. Jesus said it is finished. On the cross, he paid the fine. If a person won't let, go, let you go free from the sins you've committed, say, hey, Jesus died for my sins. I plead the blood of Jesus. Jesus is alive. Are you as alive as he died to make you? Am I? Are we? We're on the home stretch. We've passed third base, wrapping up the conclusion of the sermon So take a deep breath. I've got some rhetorical questions to ask. They're yes and no questions. To be honest with me, would you say yes to this question? I would say you're lying. Do you only believe what you understand? Maybe you don't believe in the resurrection because you don't understand everything about it. In fact, it offends your mind to think that you have sin in your life and that someone would have to die in your place. Someone would have to suffer for you. That's offensive. But this is the way God operates. In the Christian life, you'll learn this truth if you become a believer. He offends our minds to reveal our hearts in our need for transformation. We are separated from God. You may be a good guy, but there's a separation between you and God that your forefathers handed down to you. But through what Jesus gave on the cross, his life, he experienced separation from his father, if but for a moment, so that we could be reunited with our creator. You may not understand that, but do you have to understand that to receive the benefits of it? Do you have to understand all the fine prints of how to operate your microwave? Do you read every single word of all your insurance policies? Do you vote and read all the platforms of the parties that are up for election? I did in this last general election. Let me tell you, it was a lot of work. We don't only believe what we can understand. You may not have been here when we built the building. You don't understand how these switches on the wall can turn on lights. You weren't here to see it. Which brings us to our next question. Do you only believe what you observe? If you came here by automobile, did you watch them make that car to make sure they did it right? No. Yet you believe in the car enough to get in it and drive it to wherever you want to go. So even though you didn't observe everything about it, you believe it. The technology you have, the cell phone you have in your pocket, in your hand, it's turned on, hopefully it's on the Bible. Do you have to understand or observe everything about it before you will enjoy its benefits? No, you would have to go to college for the rest of your life. There's so much knowledge put into that thing. Do you ever believe the witnesses of others? Yes. We couldn't function as a society if if everybody was a liar and nobody believed anything and we were just a nation of skeptics that never believed anything. We wouldn't share information. We wouldn't have the benefits of what we have today because of the faith that needs to be an operation for humanity to function. 
Do you ever believe in observable results? Yes. I have a cell phone because I saw someone use it. Ralph Quest showed me the first iPhone I ever saw. I didn't run out and buy one instantly, but I saw and believed because of what I observed. Do you know any Christians whose lives have changed? Did you know them before they were a believer? And now it's like from daylight to dark. They may not be perfect, but you see transformation taking place. There's something to this resurrection story. And finally, will you believe the resurrection if God helps you? There was a man needing healing that cried out to the Lord. And the Lord says, I'll heal you if you believe. He says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Will you believe if someone helps you? Ephesians 2 says, by grace we have been saved through faith. And that is not of our doing. It is the gift of God so that no one can boast. So the salvation he gives us is a gift. And the faith that causes us to access that salvation is a gift called saving faith. If you find yourself beginning to believe the resurrection story from your heart, that is saving faith dawning in your heart. That is God blessing you, opening the eyes of your understanding to realize there's a Savior who died and rose from the dead. So will you believe if God helps you? Let's pray. Lord, I pray for every person here. I pray for those who do believe in the resurrection, but they're not walking in the full benefits of what you have provided through your finished work on the cross and from the empty tomb and from heaven, Lord, where you administrate these blessings. Help us, Lord, to walk in the fullness of what you want to give us. And Lord, I pray for any person here who is not a believer that you would help them to believe this most important question in the history of mankind. Will you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. Christ is risen. Read the sign. Christ is risen. Happy Easter, everybody. Ishtar Ishtar was a pagan goddess of fertility. That's what eggs and bunnies were all about. But her day got trashed by the resurrection. Meaning of the word completely changed. Transformed. How dare Jesus? But if you believe in God, the time belongs to him. He can do whatever he wants, whatever he wants. I believe he did die before, just before Passover began as our ultimate Passover lamb so that judgment can pass over us. And he arose from the dead to administrate that blessing. Amen. God bless you. Let's worship the Lord.